You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Today's guest is Christina Youngblood. Christina is an Army veteran and an Air Force spouse currently stationed in Utah with her husband and two children ages six and five. She has always loved writing and has found a home for it on her blog, Heart and Stripes. She loves being a stay-at-home mom, volunteering on base, spending time with her family, and she is currently working on her bachelor's degree as well. She was raised in Florida, but is experiencing her first winter in Utah after spending four years stationed in Belgium. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. We're so glad to have you here, and I can't wait to hear more about your experience in the military. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with the first question of why did you decide to join the military? You know, that's actually kind of a funny question. Everybody always asks me that. And it's kind of a mixture. Every male in my family has been in the military. I was the first female to join. But, you know, their their role model of and their life was kind of always something I wanted. Not sure why. But I also always just wanted to be part of the JAG Corps, which is um, obviously the legal side of it. I always, I don't know if you remember, this is going to age me so much, but that show Jag that used to play on the TV, I watched that show religiously and I wanted to be everything that I saw on that show. And I became of age and I scored high enough and I became a paralegal. It's kind of cool that a TV show would be that influential, but it makes sense because I, I remember watch. I don't think I watched it very often, but I remember it being on TV. And- it ages me so much. <laughs> I go back now and watch it and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that's what, that's part of what made me join the military. Yeah, that's kind of funny. So your family's been military for a while, but you were the first female. What was it like to be the first female to join the military? Um, You know, my family was kind of skeptical about me joining. I got out of the military eight years ago. So it's been a long time. Um, I joined back in 2002. So back then it, it hadn't evolved to the military that it is now where women are more accepted. Um, it was still kind of the boys club when I joined. So they really didn't want me part of it, to be honest. Um, But they came around and I think because I chose to go into the legal side of it, they were okay with it. But I mean, regardless of what branch or what part you're, you're, you're part of, you're still experiencing the overall aspect of the military. Um, You know, I still had to deploy. I still experienced a lot of the things that my family didn't want me to. I believe it's what's made me who I am today and I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So can you tell us a little bit about your military experience when you you joined, you went to basic and then what happened? Well, I joined in 2002 
I got done with my training because I did my basic, I was in the army. So I did the basic training and then I went to my AIT, which is our job training. And that was kind of a longer job training because it was, because it was legal. I finished that in 2003, I believe it was, gosh, May, March, May, something, something along those lines. And by November, I was deploying for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, so I really didn't get much time of just being regular military. <laughs> so I was 20 years old. I was heading over to Kuwait, Iraq. I, because I was legal, I kind of traveled around. Um, I wasn't, we were technically stationed in Kuwait. Um, but the unit that I was attached to was finance unit and we were setting up all of the finance aspects throughout Iraq. So those finance offices included paying our Iraqi contractors, but they also included, you know, anything that the service member needed finance wise. So my part of it was making sure that everything was legal, that we had the paperwork, we were accounting for the money that we were moving. In order to do that, I had to travel around throughout Iraq and and make sure that everything was accounted for. That sounds really interesting, especially being 20 years of age, 20, you said 20, right? Yeah, I was 20. I turned 21 while we were there. And did you mention how long the deployment was? Um, No, I left in November of 2003. And I came back in February of 2005. It was a long one. It was back back when it first started. Um, we were considered rotation two. So you had your initial rotation of going in there with basically nothing but infantry and, you know, the other aspects of uh, Marines and Air Force and such. But our infantry went in and then I was rotation two, which was pretty much the start of it. You know, they... They did their initial entry and then we came right behind them to set up everything. So were you exposed to like incoming fire or any combat on convoys? Um, I didn't, we didn't do convoys because of money. We had to fly. Um, We relied heavily on the Air Force to fly the money around. So I, I, but I did experience it. Um, I experienced majority of it at LSA Anaconda. Um, in Iraq, that was one of our main finance points and one of the main places that I visited. Um, and if you know anything about the war, you know that they were heavily attacked. Um, it's also the place that the, they landed a rocket inside of the um, defect facility. So I did experience things that probably still haunt me to this day. Um, but I'm learning. I've learned to. To deal with and to help cope with. Yeah, with such a long deployment and facing danger, it seems like it would have a huge impact, especially being 20 years old and like happening so early in your life. Yeah, exactly. I, I truly feel for anyone who deploys. Um, but when you deploy to something that's so new, it's still heavily, you're still facing a lot of, ta- of attacks. Um, I mean, to be so young and that to be part of what shapes your life is kind of a difficult thing. Um, I have been diagnosed with PTSD for it and I've struggled with that for a long time, but I was able to get the help that I needed. And I'm a much better person now than I was eight years ago when I 
I got out of the military. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know if I'd classify it as PTSD, but when I've talked to people about it, they're like, yeah, it's PTSD. But for my deployment, we didn't see a lot of combat. Well, we had a lot of difficulties with the people that were on the team who were kind of like going behind our backs and making a harder, hard experience even harder than it needed to be. And by not dealing with the emotions, a lot of the stuff from my deployment, I never resolved. And so I had to get help through. Absolutely. I mean, trauma is trauma, whether it's due to incoming fire or death or, you know, anything like that. I mean, PTSD can be different different things to different people, you know, and regardless, it's a trauma that has affected you. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is you don't necessarily have to have deployed in order to have PTSD. There's so many different aspects, even here at home that you face in the military that can cause you to, to have PTSD. And even as like a civilian who's never been in the military, there's also experiences of like being in a car accident or being abused that can lead to PTSD. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I for a long time was like, no, because I only saw combat one time and it was fine and it was not like a daily thing, but the more you learn about it, the more you learn how you have to cope with it and how your mind kind of has to change to adapt. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I I was the same way. I didn't think I had it um, because I wasn't technically stationed in Iraq. I only visited there. You know, I wasn't the one that saw the worst of it. There were people that saw much worse than I did. Because of that, it took me a long time to get the help that I needed. And it affected my life for a long time. But once you once you come to the realization and you accept the fact that even though other people have seen worse or been through worse in your opinion, it doesn't change the fact that it has truly affected you and you need to get help for it. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because I think a lot of times you can play the comparison game and think, well, my situation's not as bad as someone else's, so I should be fine. Absolutely. You know, and I think a, a lot of times pride gets in the way as well. And Back when I was in, it was um, it was still the the part where we weren't sure if we would lose our job just for admitting that we had it, you know. So it was it was a thin line to walk for for me when I was back back when I was in. So um, it was difficult, but you know, I found I found help, and I'm doing much much better. And that's you know all that I can say is that you just got to find help. So you deployed and then you came home 15 months later. What else did you do in the military? I technically joined the Guard. <laughs> I never experienced the Guard until back until 2005. Um, and at that time, I came home and found a full-time position. So I was active Guard and I worked at my unit daily. Um, I worked in the operations and training section. So I did a lot of orders and training schedules and stuff like that. The unit that I was a part of was an air defense artillery unit. When I came back, um, they put me into that unit. And we did a lot of working hand in hand with the active duty. So I saw a lot more than most guard members see. We did yearly exercises. I got to travel to Thailand. Um, I got to travel to Hawaii and Fort Lewis, Washington, you know, just different exercises that we would do with either our ally allies or with active duty to 
make sure we were up to date and doing the things that we needed to as an air defense unit. That's really interesting. I didn't know that you served in the guard and then ended up like going to training and then coming back from the training and then pretty much going. Yeah, I I went straight from, hey, I'm home from basic and AIT and cool, I can get back to my life. And oh, by the way, no, you're going to deploy. (laughs) So was that kind of unexpected or did you kind of have a feeling that might happen? I really, it really hadn't hit me that it might happen. You know, we did basic training and it was after 9-11. So we, we knew that we were going there, but as a paralegal, it didn't really hit me. I'm like, no, and I'm the guard. Why would they send me? Right. And I, within, um, you know, by the time I got home, you know, they give you a little bit of a break. And then I think I attended one weekend drill and then they were like, okay, it's, you're deploying. I'm like, wait, what? That's kind of a crazy dynamic that that part of it might've been hard to process or just, you just kept going with it because you signed up to join the military and that's what you were supposed to do. Yeah. I, I mean, even just hearing you're going, I mean, as a 20 year old, I was scared to death. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I'm just a paralegal. Why am I going? You know? And it just really... I couldn't see it couldn't sink in for me you know it was kind of a the day it sunk in was the day I got there and I was like oh yep this is happening (laughs) and I'm not going home until they tell me that just is more remarkable because it was so long like 15 months and it was so like you were joining the guard it wasn't like you were planning on being on active duty I feel like that's just a really interesting story that I'd never really thought about before yeah I had a job I was going back to my job and you know I had a life I was okay I just got to do my one week in a month two weeks a year and I'll be good and they were like nope not happening (laughs) that's crazy but you know because I did that I got to come home I got my full-time position and you know they became a family you know um I to this day I still speak with a lot of the people that I deployed with um the active duty we were kind of intermixed with the active duty finance people and I still talk to most of them as well that's really cool um did you face any struggles in the military besides your deployment experience um Like I said, when I first joined, it wasn't the military that it is now. I don't feel like women were quite as accepted as they are now. Um, We definitely weren't allowed to have pretty much any job we wanted. Um, I, I, I often tell the story of my, my uncle was in the guard as well, but he was full time E9. um, And he was part of the infantry unit that was just down the road from us. And they were deploying. So I, as a paralegal, I was part of the team that would go over and do their wills and uh, power of attorneys and such. So I went over there to do that. And my uncle told me to get out. He told me I wasn't allowed to be there. He didn't want me around all these guys. I know he was doing it as my uncle and knowing his guys, but that's that was the type of military we were in. Women weren't really accepted around infantry people. That was a man's job. And now that has evolved to be accepted by all, you know, women can join the the infantry now. And I think that's a big turning point for us is when I was in, I didn't, we weren't at that point yet. We weren't accepted. 
couldn't do whatever we wanted job wise. And now we can. And I think that's a big, big deal. Yeah, I think it is. And it was, it's kind of weird because when I deployed, I deployed with the army and I was with an infantry unit and we were out doing convoys. And so it was kind of weird for them to have a female with Yeah, they don't know how to act. (laughs) And so it was kind of just an interesting dynamic. And when that was in 2010, so shortly after that is when they allowed women to join the inventory and someone was like well does this like change anything and I was like no I was with an infantry unit I mean it does but women were already serving on the front lines before that happened and people just don't right know about it and that's why it was changed because there were already women doing it and they had proved that they could be with an infantry unit and pulled their weight and so absolutely and I, th- I think it, that's a big point um that you made was we, we were already doing it. I mean, back in 2003, 2004, I was right there in the middle of it as a female, but to everybody else back home, it was, Oh no, she's, she's in the building. She's working, you know, legal stuff. I'm like, um, okay. (laughs) If that helps you sleep at night, I'll let you think that. That's very true. So how long did you serve in the guard? I was in for eight years. And then why did you decide to transition out? To be honest, I was still struggling with my PTSD. Um, I knew my rotation. They had, by that point, they had started the five-year rotation cycle for deployment. My turn was coming up. Um, I knew I wasn't ready for that. And I needed, I needed to make a decision. It was either I stayed in, went through another deployment, and who knows how I would be after that, or I could take what I had learned in the military and move on in the civilian world. And I just chose to move on in the civilian world. Um, it was a hard, hard, hard transition for me because, like I said, I had made a family with, with all of those people that I worked with. And I even received phone calls from our state E9, our, start, our state started major asking me not to get out. He wanted me to stay in. I had made, I had contact with our, the one star in charge of the state as well, asking me not to get out. But I just, I had to do what was best for my mental stability. And, you know, it ended out, ended up working out for the best because a week after my ETS date, I started dating my husband and here I am an Air Force spouse now. <laughs> That, so were you already getting help from on the mental health side before you got out or did you just kind of know that you couldn't mentally handle another deployment? I was getting help, but I hadn't found the right help. Let me just put it that way. I had I had received some help from a therapist, um, but I always feel like your therap- you have to click with your therapist. And I hadn't found that therapist yet, but I knew... I had already been diagnosed with PTSD and I knew that another deployment would seriously hinder any um, recovery for me. That makes a lot of sense. So you were on your journey to getting help. Yeah, I was still struggling pretty bad. You know, I feel like it was a big struggle probably up until... Let's see, about three years ago. Yeah, it's been about three years. um, When I started seeing my new therapist, because again, I, I think the right therapist is where is what makes all the difference. And I found a wonderful, wonderful therapist. And she has been 
essential to my recovery and to my coping with the issues that I that I deal with. And I didn't start seeing her probably until a few years ago. So you transitioned out of the military and started dating your would-be husband. What did you do in that in-between time? Did you get a new job? As a- um, before I got out, I actually had found a job um, working at the local college as kind of did events. I was an events coordinator for the college. I started working that job before I technically got out of the military. And um, so I worked that job for a little bit. And then, um, like I said, I started dating my husband about a week after I got out of the military. And a couple months into that job, they decided to eliminate my position. So here I was, freshly out of the military, now lost the first job that I've ever lost (laughs) and no idea what to do. And luckily, I have such an amazing man that when I called him crying about losing my job, he said, well, good, you were going to move up here to Georgia anyways, because that's where he was stationed. And he was like, so now you can just do it earlier. And so what was it? Probably three months into dating my husband, I moved up to Georgia and him and I started living together. Um, And once I got up there, I was able to get a job on base at the at the legal office doing discharges for the Air Force. So he was like, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) You would have, you would have probably laughed if you could have been a fly on the wall because I'm hysterical crying. I've never lost a job in my life. He's like, why are you crying? (laughs) I'm like, I just lost a job. And he's like, it's fine. Pack your bags. You're moving to Georgia. And I was like, oh. So you guys knew pretty early on that you were probably going to get married? Um, yeah, actually, if you if you talk to him now, he'll tell you that I've actually known him since I was 13. Unfortunately, he's four years older than me. So back in the day, the difference of 13 and 17 was a little much when it came to dating. So we always had a crush on each other, but never dated. And then when I was getting out of the military, I just decided to contact him on Facebook, see how he was doing. And he was actually deployed at the mo- at the time. And he'll tell you when he received that message, he said, I'm going to marry that girl. Eight months after we started dating, we were married. That's a cool story. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a, a cool one that I look forward to telling my kids about. Um, I got out of the military and that week later was when he came home from his deployment. And that's when we started dating. So what has it been like being a military spouse who's a veteran? Have you connected with other military spouses or have you had any challenges? I think it's a little hard to connect with non-prior service military spouses. Um, I try really hard, but I seem to connect more with the ones that are prior military. There's other spouses, you know, that they, they get out and they're now married to someone who's still in. And we seem to connect a lot because we have a lot in common. Um, it's been a difficult journey for me, I think, in the sense of understanding the Air Force way as opposed to the Army way. You know, there's many times that my husband, you know, he's a senior NCO and he'll come home and we'll discuss something. And I'm like, well, that would never happen in the Army. He's like, Christina, chill out. It's the Air Force. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta adjust my mindset and understand that this is just the way that the Air Force does things as opposed to the way that the Army would do things. Yeah, that makes sense. The culture of the Army and the Air Force are very different. I didn't think about the fact that you are a military spouse in a branch that you didn't serve in. So 
Yeah, it, it's been a little bit different. And then, you know, we joke because my kids are my youngest daughter. She's like, oh, I want to be like you, mommy. I want to join the army. And we're like, no, no, no. You're going to join the Air Force if you join the military. I'm like, no, be like daddy, not like mommy. That's funny. <laughs> so you kind of changes your mindset a little bit. Yep, that's very true. My last question is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? You know, I think it is something that if you're, if you truly feel is in your heart to do, you should do it. But I highly, highly recommend having a plan. Once you join, there's going to be a point where you know, okay, this is what I want to do for, you know, the rest of the time. I'm going to do my 20 years. Or there's a point where you're like, no way, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out. So having a plan is essential to that. I didn't do my schooling while I was in, and I should have, because while you're in, you can utilize tuition assistance instead of your GI bill. So I'm now trying to finish my degree and fit it in the GI bill timeframe, which is another thing that for most has changed. They have forever to use it. I do not have forever to use it. I have my 10-year limit to use it. Um, So I just think it's essential to have a plan um, in case once you join, it's just not what you want to do for the 20 years. You know, for me, it wasn't what I wanted to do for the 20 years. And for my husband, he's going to stay in as long as they tell him he can. So, you know, it's not for everyone. So just have a plan. I think that's really good advice. And yeah, the post 9-11 GI Bill has been made to not expire, which was something that when I left the military and I have two little ones and I was seeing the time crunch of like when it was going to expire and how yeah, I could that's get where my, I'm at right now. <laughs> you know, six and five year olds, so that makes sense. And so actually relieved a big burden off me because I was like, how am I going to get this used before the time runs out? Yeah. See, mine didn't, I'm, I wasn't cause I had already started using it. So it okay. doesn't transfer over to the forever GI bill. So now I have until February of 2020 to finish my my uh, degree. So that means, you know, which I can do. Luckily, I caught it in time. And but that means, you know, my next semester, I'm taking five classes instead of, you know, the typical three or four. And I'm going to be doing that for two semesters. One of those semesters, my, both of my kids will be out of school, you know, so it's, it's a juggling act. And it's just something that if I would have planned better, I wouldn't have to deal with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed hearing your story. And I um, appreciate how open and honest you are to talk about PTSD and your struggles. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and letting me talk about that because it's, just, it's very important to understand that if if you get if you have it and getting help is not is not anything to be you know it's not anything to to hide it's you shouldn't be you know secretive about it it's okay you know you're not the only one struggling with it yeah that's very true thank you again and that's all we have for this week thank you for listening to this episode of women of the military Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.